0: Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed
1: from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection
2: from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.
1: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox Talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more, this is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
0: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast, presented by SeatGeek, the best place to buy Chicago White Sox tickets. Download the SeatGeek app onto your smartphone and save $20 off your first purchase with promo code SOXMACHINE. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of October 22nd, 2018. On this week's show, we conclude our 2018 season reviews by recapping the Chicago White Sox infield and outfielders. Which players still have promise, which ones don't, and what areas on the field do the White Sox seriously need to consider making upgrades this offseason? We'll answer your questions at the end of the show in P.O. Sox, But first, we have a World Series matchup that could be quite promising. Maybe. It's the Boston Red Sox against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Joining me to help preview the World Series is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Here we are. Dodgers, Red Sox, World Series. Two classic teams that could make an entertaining World Series, maybe. But for White Sox fans, it does mean watching Chris Sale make his first World Series start of his career as he is the probable starter game one for the Red Sox on Tuesday. How do you feel about that?
2: I feel good. I think I'm generally supportive of Chris Sale. Um, You know, it's hard to blame. You know, he had some moments with the White Sox. I don't don't think he regrets them. I don't think think regret is really in his uh, programming, but... uh, a couple of moments most people would regret with the White Sox. But overall, you know, you can't really argue with his body of work and how much he cared and how much he tried to get the White Sox to a winning record. And ultimately, the organization failed him. So even though, you know, it's, he had some low moments, it's hard to, you know, ultimately, he was amusing. It was fun to write about. And uh, also, you know, I think, you know, watching the Brewers this year, watching the Red Sox, you know, with the sale trade, I enjoy, I kind of like watching teams that, swing big connect. And so far, I think with the Red Sox, you know, if sale has helped them get to a world series and if sale pitches well in a world series, then it's really hard to argue that they lost the trade, or at least that the trade achieved what they set out to accomplish, you know? And so it's a win on their part, whether it's win, win for the white Sox, you know, that's yet to be determined.
0: I think we should also include the Dodgers because the Dodgers did get Manny Machado at the all-star break. Yeah. They ponied up and, and, and got him. Obviously I don't think they sacrificed as much as what the Red Sox did to get Chris sale or at least this past off season, make the type of signings that the Milwaukee Brewers did compared to what they usually spend. Uh, but yeah, the teams that make the big bold moves found themselves in the championship series. And you got two of them, uh,
2: that are going to be fighting for the, uh, the world series. Yeah. I, I think I would just, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, take a step back on the Dodgers or step down and just say, you know, it was expensive for rental, but, you know, it costs them prospects they can't use. <laughs> they have depth on depth on depth with just their resources. So uh, I don't know if any one individual move quite counts as sticking their neck out. And I think the same can be said for the Red Sox a little bit. But, you know, with the with the players they traded with Mancada and uh, Kopech and even Basabe as a, as a third, you know, it's still... Still a compelling package, but I think, you know, having Kopech missing all of 2019 really kind of, uh, you know, and, and with Kopech missing all 2019 and with Sale, a free agent after 2019, I think the timeline kind of for the deal kind of ends there as far as the Red Sox are concerned. True. But hey, if
0: they could win the World Series, I mean, this would be, if the Red Sox win the World Series, I think, was Dave Dabrowski the GM for the 97 Marlins? Yes. I think he was involved with that team. Yeah. So he has a World Series reign, but obviously we know very well that he failed in Detroit to deliver a World Series despite winning the American League pennant twice. We'll see if Dombrowski can win his second World Series reign as general manager. Well, this time it's president of baseball operations. I should I should clearly state what his title is. It's a little bit more than GM uh, if Dombrowski can win, win another World Series. Series ring. But on the flip side here, you, you have the Dodgers and the Dodgers are in the World Series by winning in seven games over the Milwaukee Brewers. And what a run the Brewers had, as you mentioned, Jim, uh, in 2018, despite, you know, they, they went big this offseason and yet they were in a tough situation in September and they defied odds all September long and won the National League Central over in game 163 over the Cubs. And they gave the Dodgers fits in seven games, even though despite the big moves the Brewers had made, I thought the Dodgers had obviously more talent than the Brewers. But still, it was a very tight series. And congrats to the Brewers on a great 2018. But here we are, the mighty Dodgers, even though they didn't have a very good 2018, they still win the National League pennant. But they haven't won the World Series since 1988, Jim. Will this be the year the Dodgers snap the drought against the Red Sox?
2: Yeah, you know, it's going to be tough, you know, to make a prediction. Just two good teams, two deep teams, kind of two teams that are deep in the same way. Now that David Price, you know, looks like he's fully operational and hopefully Sale is too uh, with the stomach issue, whatever that was. Uh, yeah, the, Sale said it was a uh, navel ring infection, which he doesn't have, but <laughs> uh, yeah, as we talked about before, Sale is just somebody <laughs> who can say things and not really answer to them uh, in, in weird ways and, you know, be just kind of a weirdo and bless them. But uh, it's it's going to be two evenly matched teams. I do like the Dodgers' chances. I think, you know, I don't want to write off the Red Sox or say that the Red Sox can't. I thought the Astros were better, but then Altuve, you know, his, his knee injury was worse than I think most people knew. And we watched the Astros during the regular season when Altuve was hurting and they just weren't the same team. So, you know, the Red Sox were better than the Astros. I think the Dodgers are, you know, even though they were, 13 wins worse during the season, I think. I forget how many games the Dodgers won, but um, I think the way the Dodgers finished the season, pretty much on the same level. Um, so I expect it to be tight and go six, um, but I think the Red Sox are just a tad deeper, and especially like if Mookie Betts can play second in the National League Park, that's um, just a lot of things that the Red Sox can do with their lineup.
0: Yeah, the Red Sox in this postseason are 2-2 two and two at home. They finished both series, tied one game apiece against the Yankees and the Astros. And you and I were both worried about the Red Sox after game two against the Yankees. And the Red Sox go into the Bronx and they win both of those games. We didn't think that Boston was going to, at least I didn't think, was going to escape Houston. I thought the Astros would win in five. Instead, Boston wins all three in Houston totally amazing run that they had in the American League Championship Series against the Astros. The Red Sox are 5 and 0 on the on the road. And that is a bit intimidating when I look at this World Series from a Los Angeles Dodgers perspective because you'd like to be confident at home, but right now teams are faring better at Fenway than they are on their home field. Uh which is a bit interesting and we'll see if that trend carries into Los Angeles, but I'm glad you brought up the belly ring for Chris sale. Uh, cause I have two questions for you. One, do you know of any guy that has a belly button ring?
2: Uh, I don't know personally. I remember, I think it was AJ Burnett had some kind of piercing issue. It might've been nipple rings, but I think he had, <laughs> he had something, uh, with, I think a torso ring that acted up on him. Cause he had all, okay. I think he was one of the early tattoo and uh, piercing guys that um you know had a career of note okay gotcha uh two would it surprise you if chris sale had a navel ring <laughs> yeah i think so because he's not a you know i don't he doesn't strike me as a tattoo no. uh piercing, body modification guy he does have the you know the the necklaces and such but yeah just doesn't strike me there's not a whole no. lot of skin there I wonder who would be
0: the better prankster if they were in the same clubhouse, Daniel Polka or Chris Sale? Because Polka had a lot of people fooled with the McDonald's All-American high school basketball career that he did not have.
2: Yeah, I think the advantage I think Sale has over Polka is just that he has no Twitter presence, has no, as far as we know, no Facebook presence or anything like that. So he can just say things and disappear and leave it for everybody (laughs) else to talk about. So I think, you know, Palka, he's, you know, he answers to people. And so I think it's just a little bit easier to call him out and such, or, you know, even if he doesn't ultimately acknowledge it, but I think, yeah, Sale, I I think it's to his credits and he's smarter than the rest of us to not be on Twitter, but (laughs) just, you you can say, you know, what he wants to, um, you can, you know, cut up jerseys, you can do all these, you know, kind of, um, you know, the, the jumping off the truck thing, just, uh, these weird kind of moments and he just says it and... There, you know, nobody can speak to him directly about it. at least fans can't, you know, just all reporters and such. But I mean, he just, he's kind of, uh, uh, elusive in that regard. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit refreshing. He's got a great poker face. I mean, he, he had a lot of people
0: fooled. Like I, you, you just never know with Chris when he's talking about these sort of things. I still don't think he jumped off the back of his truck and broke his foot. I don't know what yeah. happened. I don't think we're ever going to know. what happened and we'll never know about his stomach issue as well just knowing that he had to go to the hospital because he had an upset stomach anyways you hinted at it but it sounds like your world series prediction that this is going to go six games
2: who do you like to win the world series i think i'm gonna go with the red sox it's gonna be good though i think
0: i think the red sox are gonna win this in five i think this Um. could be a little one-sided I've always I, I felt that way towards the postseason. That I liked every American League team better than every National League team. Yeah, that's my thinking. And I, I just think that you know, with the way that Boston's been playing, especially on the road, and as you mentioned, if Mookie Betts can play adequate second base. It'll be interesting to see on how good he is because for the second base options right now for the Red Sox, they've been trotting out Ian Kinsler, uh, but you do put J.D. Martinez in the outfield. In those situations, Uh, and it'll be interesting to see on how Martinez holds up defensively. Uh, But with the way that the Red Sox have been hitting and their deep lineup, I do think that one of the key areas is going to be late inning situations. Can the Red Sox bullpen hold on? They did a very good job, I thought, against the Houston Astros, so I think they'll repeat that in the World Series. And the next time we record, we're talking about the Boston Red Sox winning the World Series and man what it is, what a time to be alive if you're a Boston sports fan. This is a incredible run across all of the sports that they have. Mm-hmm. Just yep. crazy.
2: Yeah, especially watching the uh oh, yeah, following the Bears game on Sunday. It's like, yep, Patriots are still all right. <laughs> yeah. Tom Brady. A little bit wounded, but still Tom. all right. Tom Brady, forty one years old
0: older than the Bears head coach <laughs> still out there <laughs> still out there throwing touchdowns incredible all right so that's the world series and again it'll be very entertaining uh your world series schedule for this week the game game 1 is tomorrow tuesday and then that'll be followed up game 2 on wednesday the first two games are in boston and then the thursday is a day off and then we head into the weekend series in los angeles games 3 and 4 are friday and saturday Game five, if necessary, is Sunday. And then if this gets past five games, it will head back to Boston again for the Tuesday and Wednesday, which are game six and seven. And again, if necessary. All right, so that's the World Series. Moving forward, some Major League Baseball news. A couple of teams hired new managers. First, the Cincinnati Reds hired David Bell as the manager and he is the son of former Chicago White Sox assistant GM Buddy Bell. So the Bell family has strong ties to the Cincinnati Reds, and it sounds like they hire one of their own to be the new manager after Joe Girardi, who seemed to be the front runner for that position, uh, decided to pull out of the running to be the Cincinnati Reds manager and also the Texas Rangers manager. Staying in the American League West, the Los Angeles Angels, after their two-hour (laughs) written test, to test candidates about analytics, they decide to hire Brad Osmus as their manager. First of all, Jim, I'd love to take that two-hour written test on the analytics just to see what kind of questions that they were asking. And, you know, see how well I would do uh, based on, uh, on what the questions were. Um, but with these two hirings, I mean, I don't think a lot of people know in the mainstream David Bell much. I don't necessarily know a whole lot about him. Uh, but with the Angels deciding to give Brad Osmus a second try as their
2: manager. Uh either of these hirings surprising to you? Well, David Bell, I'd heard his name come up a few times and he does have a you know a history of managing in the minor Leagues. You know he does have that, which a lot of you know recent hirings, you know, especially, you know, the guys who are in their, you know, forties, like a guy like David Bell recent playing experience, you know, don't have. He seems to have um, you know, been groomed to be a manager and and have experience with uh, player development um, with a couple different organizations. So it seems, you know, for a team like in the Reds' position where they are trying to build, you know, maybe not tanking anymore. They're trying not to tank, but they keep losing. But I think, uh, you know, young players really are going to be key for them. And uh, you know, especially on the pitching side, it seems like uh, it fits well enough. You know, you never quite know until you see him actually on the job. But, you know, at least there's experience there. With um yeah, there's always a chance that a guy can learn from, you know, a bad first job. Um, but it does strike me a little bit as if Robin Ventura were hired by another team. Just, you know, if I were a Tigers fan, Osmus uh, had more success than Ventura, but that was partially because of the roster. And when uh, things went uh, poorly, um, he didn't really have much in a way to stop him. Um, you know, he wasn't really great at handling pitching staff and, you know, grooming young starters. And, you know, it, it's... Uh, yeah, There were a lot of, uh, I guess, just red flags for a manager, and you know, perhaps he's learned from them, and uh, taking a step back can you know, address some uh, shortcomings, but for the time being, it does strike me as a little bit of an uninspiring move. We'll see how it plays out. We'll see how it plays out. I think the Angels
0: are one of these teams that can be quite aggressive this offseason. I think... To help them even further, to be more aggressive, they need to figure out what they're doing with Albert Pujols moving forward and that albatross mm-hmm. of the contract. But if they could figure out a settlement or solution there, uh, they could be a front runner on some of these key free agents. Again, uh, it sounds like we also could be hearing a new contract extension, according to John Heyman of FanRag Sports, that the Angels – are planning to offer a lifetime contract to Mike Trout. I don't even know how that would be structured to make it lifetime. Uh, regardless, the Angels, I don't know, keep an eye on them this offseason. Because when you do have the best player in all of Major League Baseball, you should try to make every attempt to surround him with quality talent to get into the postseason. And we'll see if Brad Osmus can learn from his mistakes in Detroit and apply those lessons in his new role with the Anaheim Angels. I'm just a, a bit surprised that the Angels decided to go this route as it sounded like they were really hoping to find someone more on the analytical uh, side of managing and they hire
2: Brad Osmus. It does seem like a reaction to Mike Sosha a little bit and you know maybe um, you know, Sosha being a gut manager and being somebody who had a very identifiable style that kind of maybe was phased out a little bit. Uh, Osmus may be more receptive to new things. And and probably in their case, you know, a team that uh, is on the verge of, you know, they're always on the verge of contending. They just can't quite be healthy enough to really put together a run. Yeah, I assume they didn't maybe want to go to a completely inexperienced manager. You know, Alex Cora worked for the Red Sox, but Davey Martinez didn't really uh, get together for the Nationals. And I think they're more in the the Nationals uh, position. So, yeah, it's, they're in a tricky position. And I think, you know, you mentioned a lifetime contract. And the only guy I can remember, you know, unless he means like something like Albert Pujols to where you know, they're going to pay him to such an extent that he can't go anywhere else. And with no trade clauses and payments, you know, there's he's kind of locked in. But the one that I remember was that was kind of a lifetime contract was Tim Wakefield with the Red Sox. He had this kind of weird mutual option thing, I think, for maybe 3 or $4 million, uh, where it'd be like, you know, he would agree, and then the Red Sox would agree, and he really couldn't go anywhere else. Uh, It was just kind of on the Red Sox to retain him, and given that he's a knuckleballer who could eat innings and, um, you know, into his 40s, you know, it was kind of in a unique position to where, you know, he probably didn't want to start anew and was happy to pitch for the Red Sox as long as possible, and it worked out pretty well, so maybe it's something like that, although I think it would have to be much higher stakes than, like, a uh, rotating $4 million deal. And then the last news item concerns
0: the Chicago White Sox on the international front. According to Ben Battler, baseball America, the Chicago White Sox sign Enoy Jimenez, the younger brother of Eloy Jimenez, 17 years old. So hopefully, hopefully Enoy can follow in his big brother's footsteps and become a prominent part of the Chicago White Sox. But something tells me, Jim, that if he's signing now, and he's not on anyone's top thirty international prospect lists, uh, that there is some disparity between Eloy and Enoy as baseball players.
2: Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the situation with the Danks brothers. Back <laughs> you know, it's it's I guess a domestic uh case, but in in the event of the, the draft when the White Sox drafted Jordan Danks after trading for John Danks, you know, they had a relationship going back to uh you know, scouting them earlier in the high school process, but you know they were both Boris clients. And then when both um, when John Danks was acquired through trade and Jordan Danks was drafted, they switched uh, agents and somebody who might have been more accommodating to an extension. And you know, eventually Danks signed an extension. Didn't work out, but hopefully, uh, you know that the the, you know, negotiation process wasn't the where it went wrong. It was just more a matter of one body part failing a pitcher, which tends to happen and Jimenez is not that. So hopefully that's the case. It's just, you know, kind of a goodwill thing and, you know the White Sox have been pretty quiet the last couple of international periods because they're in the penalty box with Luis Roberts. So, you know, it doesn't hurt to have these um yeah, these whether it's in this case, you know, building a relationship with the Jimenezes or in the case of uh, Jarek, I'm going to pronounce it, I haven't heard this pronounced, but Jarek Francis, uh, the first player drafted from Aruba. It just seems like they're making inroads, you know, maybe in this period where they can't really make huge splashes.
0: Well, we'll see where it takes the White Sox with Inouye Jimenez. Wish the 17 year old the best of luck. You never know. What, Sometimes yeah, what
2: Yeah, what, what happened to Imoy? If you go from L to N. Imoy? Yeah, it's like if there's no. you know Eloy and Enoy, was there an Emoi,
0: what happened? Uh I like Enoi. Enoi sounds better than Emoi. You don't want an emo brother.
2: Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I just like to think they have uh E space O Y and are mm. filling in the alphabet. Mm. Maybe. <laughs> we'll
0: see what you Jimenez can bring to the table for the White Sox but it is an interesting storyline that the White Sox now have both of the Jimenez brothers Eloy and Enoy. we're going to take a quick break but after a word from our sponsor we'll start our position reviews for 2018 with a look at the Chicago White Sox infield next on the Sox Machine podcast Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust, and that's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place, so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. Every purchase on SeatGeek is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And by making SeatGeek your go-to ticket source, you can get everything from sports, concerts, to comedy and theater. I use SeatGeek all season long with the Chicago White Sox because it's by far the easiest way i found to shop for tickets. You can also use SeatGeek for Chicago Bears tickets. That's a hot ticket right now in the city. Or any comedy and theater, you got to look ahead as far as the winter months, especially if there are any big shows that you're looking to get tickets for. The best part is Sox Machine listeners get to save off your first purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app onto your smartphone or visit SeatGeek.com and use promo code SOCKSMACHINE. That's promo code SOCKSMACHINE to save $20 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. The Chicago White Sox infield we knew was going to be the strongest part of the team heading into 2018. With veteran first baseman Jose Abreu and three young players surrounding him, including the first full season of Yohan Mikata. there was hope that this unit could be average, if not above average unit. Then Abreu missed significant time to injuries. Mikata wasn't as good as we hoped he would be. But Yomar Sanchez held his own at third base, and Tim Anderson bounced back quite nicely from a tough 2017 season. Even Omar Navea stepped up and surprised when Wellington Castillo got busted for blood doping. How do we grade this unit after the 2018 season, and what changes do we need to see to be more confident in this bunch that they could help lead the White Sox to a future postseason berth? Jim would be providing the grades for the infield along with yours for those that participated in the infielder's review survey on SoxMachine.com. But the first question, Jim, regarding the infield, uh, how do you grade the unit as a whole after the 2018 season?
2: Seems like it was a C. Reason for optimism, disappointing on the whole, but you know, I think the performance has had some redeeming sides. So, yeah, C feels like to me.
0: All right. So from a C unit, who was the White Sox best infielder? And your five choices here were the starters or the guys that had the majority starts to the positions. Ornaveas, Jose Breyu, Yohan Mercado, Tim Anderson, and Yomer Sanchez.
2: I was really surprised by how difficult this question was. Because you you mentioned it in the the Google form. And I looked at it. I was like, huh. You know, it's they all kind of hovered around that C range to me, you know, for better, or for worse. I think when it comes to saying who is the best, I think who did the most to establish himself. That's kind of how I'm answering it because they had different expectations and stuff. And I think Tim Anderson probably had the best season in terms of you know, showing the speed and power combination and the defense really solidifying to think that he can play a shortstop for the foreseeable future. Okay. Well, with you going,
0: Tim Anderson, you went with the majority, 67.2% picked Tim Anderson as the White Sox best infielder. Second place was Yomer Sanchez at 14.6%. So there was really nobody close, according to our fans listeners, voting for best infielder. And now breaking it down per position, we're going to start at the backstop at catcher. And this is a look at Omar Naveas. He had the most starts for the White Sox behind home plate. What grade would you give Omar Nieves
2: for 2018? I would give him a C, and and I think this will be a uh, the C is for a common theme because uh, I this is that letter kept coming back to me. But yeah, he had some gains, he had some losses. The gains were a major jump in power. You know that really allowed the his approach to play up. Before he was kind of an on base oriented catcher without speed, which is kind of a base clogger, not the most useful way. Yeah, you know, I guess useful. Um, above average on base percentage for this team but he was able to get extra bases himself this year which i think is a big development for him in terms of making the most out of his profile unfortunately he was really rough defensively you can attribute some of that to the white Sox pitching staff being really rough uh, especially early with uh, command and hitting targets but also the blocking was disappointing the framing was bad so you know he gave up a lot behind the plates and so it's hard to say that he can really you know, do much more in terms of playing time and uh, projection without him being a huge liability. So I come back to see.
0: Yeah, the fans' listeners were quite generous with their grading. 59.1% gave Omar Naveas a B for his 2018 performance. 29.3% gave him a C. So they thought a little more highly of Omar Naveas. I think a lot of this grading is these guys did X amount better than my expectations. And I think a Mm -hmm. lot of listeners had low expectations of Omar Nevaez heading into the season and he exceeded that. So I could see where some would say he gets a B, but one question coming into the 2019 season is going to be about who is behind home plate. What catching duo will Rick Hahn settle on for the 2019 season? And, Posing this question, there were three options, and again, there could be a fourth option that, because Rick Hahn is never, I don't know, satisfied at the catching position, you know, there seems to be a new starter every single season. Uh, The three options were Omar Naveas and Wellington Castillo, or Omar Naveas and Kevin Smith, or Wellington Castillo and Kevin Smith. So out of those three options, which do you think is the more likely in catching duo we will see start 2019? Go with castillo Narvaez. Okay, so that was the majority, only at 49%. 43.9% went with Nervais and Smith. And I think there's a lot of White Sox fans that maybe they don't want to admit it, but they might be turned off from Wellington-Castillo coming into 2019. And Jim, what do the White Sox do with Castillo? Do you expect him to come back, or is this someone that... Rick Hahn could possibly move.
2: I expect him to come back and and you know I don't fault fans for thinking that way, and you know it is new territory for the White Sox having a player who was suspended during the season for a very stupid violation, um you know, not just in terms of you know violate, you know uh, violating the the drug agreement but also kind of in a way that's unusual to baseball and may not be useful at all, so that's a little bit weird but um. You know, given the way that these cases kind of go and and how players are forgiven and the White Sox signed Melky Cabrera, who also uh, very much uh, flaunted the uh, agreement in an embarrassing way. And, you know, they signed him into a three year deal. I don't think they have any kind of um, it, based on the what we've seen before from them, they don't seem to have any kind of you know, greater morality than other teams, they accept the punishment and then they just move on as if the punishment has been dealt with. And, um, you know, the player gets a second chance and hope that he doesn't violate it with a, uh, uh punishment that's double the next time. So I would assume that Castillo comes back. Um, but you know, can't say for sure. This is all new. That is true. This is new territory
0: and who knows, I'm expecting Castillo co- to come back, but it's interesting to see on how White Sox fans are approaching Castillo when asked about him on, you know, as far as do they still favor him and do they still want to see him in a White Sox uniform in 2019, someone to follow this off season. So that's the catcher position. Moving over to first base, what grade would you give Jose Abreu in 2018?
2: I would give him a C, a sympathetic C, given the groin trauma he suffered over the last two months. Uh, You could really see what the lineup missed when he wasn't there, even though he wasn't, um, you know, especially in the middle of the season, had a really uh, prolonged power outage, wasn't himself, then came Roaring Back, and, you know, they they survived without him a little bit in August, but then September rolled around, and yeah, the middle lineup was just really lacking, so give him a C. All right,
0: and the fans listeners agree with you. 59.1% gave Jose Breu a C on the season. I'm sure it'd be a lot different if he if he was healthy and was able to play throughout all of 2018. But a big question coming into this offseason and one that I can imagine beat reporters continuing to ask Riccan through the GM meetings and the winter meetings in December. What are the White Sox going to do with Jose Abreu? He enters his last year of his contract with the White Sox. It will go into arbitration. So the two sides have to negotiate what Abreu's 2018 salary will be. And it was a simple question. Would you sign Jose Abreu to an extension? Yes or no, Jim? I would say based on the climate for first baseman in the 30s, I would say no. And the fans would agree with you. 53.5% of the fans say, no, don't sign Jose Abreu to an extension. Are you surprised by that
2: response from the fans? Uh, No, I I think given the fans, I think are very (laughs) more, uh, I guess, surprisingly receptive to the rebuild and all the pain it entails. uh, It doesn't surprise me that they would be slow to, um, you know, try to lock up veteran players, especially since they haven't been really, uh, hasn't been overwhelming demand to acquire them from the outside. So I think that would, there's some logical consistency if you're not going to get better by free agency, by acquiring proven players, um, you don't necessarily want to extend 30 something players when you don't have to. So that's first base. Moving over to second
0: base. And this is Yohan Makata. It was an up and down season for Makata, mostly down in his first full year. What grade would you give Makata for 2018? I would give him a C minus. 61.6% of the fans went with a C. 31.8% went with the D. So I I would imagine if they were able to give plus and minuses, they would agree with you, Jim. C minus. Why a C minus for Mikata?
2: Well, you know, I, I think the September improved his stock a little bit. I was thinking, you know, looking at his uh, numbers and uh, the course of a season in September did show some promise. The on-base percentage rebounded, uh, the strikeouts cooled down a little bit. The power was there. The contact was there. It didn't materialize in terms of homers, but the contact was better. So it seemed like, you know, maybe there's something to build on for next year. Maybe he, uh, addressed some issues with his right-handed swing. Um, you know, closing up some holes in his, uh, zone and, you know, maybe, uh, shoring up the approach a little bit not getting you know caught looking so often but you know it's a long it was a long season for him tough season uh there are a couple fatal flaws or potentially fatal flaws the strikeouts and the rocky defense at second base i also think that settled down towards the end of the year but neither are um you know neither are shut cases yet i think they could you know resurface and be a problem going into next year and something to deal with. So I think you know having those two things going for him, um, I didn't quite feel comfortable calling him average, even though the potential is there, and even though his you know first full pro season could have been worse. A storyline to follow in the two thousand
0: nineteen spring training, I think, is going to be will the White Sox test Mikata at a different position than just second base? And asking the fans, listeners, this question. This is more of a long term view. But the question is, where do you think Yohan Makata's future position will be? And the three options were second base, third base, and outfield. Jim, how do you feel about Yohan
2: Makata's long-term future position with the White Sox? Third base would seem to be the most logical move if Luis Pasabe is able to, you know, handle some playing time in center field and, and I'm. I guess I'm the. I might be one of the high men on Basabe. You know. I. Um, I think I would rate him higher than, you know, other rankings would. So if he can come in in 2019, uh, you know, get a cup of coffee, look like a 2020 guy, you might not want him. You know, might not need to move Moncada to the outfield. Whereas third base is pretty much wide open. <laughs> there isn't anybody in the high minors, uh, really challenging for that spot. And he does have some experience at third. Uh, that might make that the most uh, logical first move if indeed uh, second is not his home. Do you think that's a wise decision if the White Sox move Mikata
0: off second base, a position that he seems most comfortable in?
2: Uh, you know, when you watch him play seconds and, and some of the uh, motions that he struggled with, like say one that he made you know, multiple errors on was kind of ranging to his left and trying to make a quick pivot to his right. Um, You know, maybe ranging towards first, trying to make a throw to second and just the movements got out of whack. I think when it comes to his defense, it seems like third base might uh, simplify things for him being a first step position being, you know, where you're only throwing in one direction. You don't have the kind of complicated movements um, and, and 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 balance and timing and body positioning and all that, you know, might be easier for him even if second base is more his style and, you know, maybe a place where he feels more comfortable. I think he could make the switch to third. So um, I think right now, given that we don't know what Nick Madrigal's timetable truly is, it doesn't seem like, uh, you know, moving him off second is really a key concern at this point, but um, it wouldn't hurt to, I guess, introduce third bases uh, a way to make the infield a bit more flexible and and you know, I guess, uh, not make it such a, I guess momentous milestone or a demotion, you know in his mind. you know, make it just more a matter of being flexible for the benefit of the team. But you know, I think ultimately the with with Mankata, the focus should be on his offense, and if a position switch, they think that might jeopardize his development offensively, then you know, I wouldn't bother with that right now. All right, so moving from second base.
0: Let's go over to shortstop, Tim Anderson, bounced back from his 2017 season. I thought he had a nice 2018. What grade would you give Tim Anderson, Jim? I would give him a, a B minus. B minus. 71.7% of our listeners gave Tim Anderson a B. So, and 20.2% 20. gave Anderson a C. So, lots of B's for Tim Anderson. And I think the question is for anderson despite his bounce back in 2018 offensively you know we have been talking about his on base percentage for quite some time and he may never be a high opp obp guy and that may limit what he can do offensively as far as his profile moving forward but this was the question posed to our listeners what is your confidence level in tim anderson being the chicago white sox long-term shortstop with one being not confident and five being very confident on that scale, Jim of one to five, where do you sit on the confidence level in Tim Anderson? I would go with a four. All right. 51% 51 of our listeners also agree with you. They went with a four and 26.3% went with a three, 16.7% went with a five. So You can look at this in a positive light, that White Sox fans are mostly positive, or I should say mostly confident in Tim Anderson being the long-term White Sox shortstop. I bet if we compare that to 2017, this is like a true reversal, right? Where two may have been the most popular answer as people were really doubtful that Tim Anderson was going to stick at shortstop. We just talked about Yohan Mikata switching positions. I do remember the conversations about Tim Anderson being moved into the outfield. Is it, we could table that conversation right after this season.
2: Yeah. And I, and I think that's something to keep in mind too with Moncada that Anderson kind of had similar problems where, you know, the physical ability was there. The arm strength was there, the range was there, but when it came to errors, it just seemed like sometimes he would rush motions, um, you know, whether it's looking up to, uh, you know, make a quick flip to first before the ball's in his glove or making forcing a throw to second when it isn't there. I think he did a good job of slowing the game down, um, you know, getting his body lined up to make on-target throws uh, and, and really made complicated plays look easy by the end of the year. And so I think, you know, that's why I'm not inclined to write off Moncada entirely. Um, you know, defense can rebound. But I think when it comes to Anderson, you know, the uh, the second half OBP was really disappointing, and that's why I yeah I tacked on a minus to the B. It just yeah there is enough doubt to where uh, the offense could be a big enough problem to jeopardize I guess his uh, everyday status. But I think the shortstop play is there, and I think you know watching the White Sox for uh, a number of years with Lexi Ramirez, I think the kind of package of talent and what he can offer is similar. Um, just a a shortstop. Uh, with above-average defense, who can make things happen offensively, even if he's not on base as much as you'd like to see. All right. So from
0: shortstop, let's go to the hot corner at third base, and that is Yomer Sanchez filling in, starting long, starting the two thousand seven, two thousand eighteen season. Excuse me, at third base after much conversation, whether or not the White Sox would entertain the idea of signing Mike Moustakis, Instead, Moustakis signed the one-year deal to go back to Kansas City and then eventually got traded to the Milwaukee Brewers. And Sanchez, I thought, you know, he toughed it out at third base. He ended up being an average third baseman, mostly because of his glove. Offensively, though, that is not someone you want to be at third base. So I would think that Sanchez, for me, gets a C for his performance in 2018 at third base, but I think this is the best that he could do because I think he's better suited at second base for any team. What grade would
2: you give Yomer Sanchez, Jim, at third base? The grade that came to mind for me was C plus with the plus being that, you know, it's, it was obviously, you know, I guess, not anybody's first choice aside from maybe Sanchez's to get everyday playing time at third base. It's just kind of, the best available player. And he was, you know, I guess playing above his pay grade in terms of the assignment given and he did what he could with it and wasn't bad. You know, uh, I think uh, the defense was there and with the pitching staff, any kind of defense helps, but his OPS was in the 600s for the last four months of the season. Um, so that's why I think when it comes to, I guess, the overall wins above replacement, it strikes me as he wasn't quite average, even if his war totals might say he was, I think it just, you know, when you have to max out your playing time to get to, you know, two, two wins above replacement. I think that's still a below average player. And the biggest question I think coming into this
0: off season for the Chicago white Sox again is third base. The off season plans are going to start coming in after the world series has con- concluded. And I have to imagine there's going to be a lot of Manny Machados and people's off season plans. And people are going to have ideas as far as on how the White Sox can fix third base. But asking the listeners, should Yomer Sanchez get another chance to be the Chicago White Sox starting third baseman in 2019, Jim? Yes or no? No. 70% of our listeners agree with you, saying no. 29.3% say yes. If the White Sox, if Rick Hahn does not find a third baseman in the off season to fill in for Yulmer Sanchez
2: as the everyday starter, is that a failure on the White Sox front office part? I think so, just because there are a few options on the free agent market between, you know, whether it's Machado or Josh Donaldson or Mike Moustakis, you, you start with that as a pretty talented top of the class. And then you have, you know, uh, and I haven't yet put it together, but, you know, I'm going to try to assemble a list of you know players that could be traded for, you know, whether it's block players, players running out of options, um, you know, whether it's like a Connor Gillespie type trade to where they acquire somebody else's interesting third baseman because he doesn't have an, a, a path there. You know, even that kind of trade, I think even, you know, maybe Gillespie didn't really do much with the White Sox. I, I think that would be preferable to running out Sanchez because I think we've seen Sanchez's ceiling. You know, I think if they did go with internal options, maybe the best use of that playing time would be somebody like Jose Rondon. Just because he did hit more than 20 homers between Charlotte and Chicago. And, you know, maybe you want to see what that ceiling looks like with more playing time. And given that Anderson is locked down shortstop, you know, maybe third base is the best way to get Rondon that kind of playing time if he warrants it. But, yeah, given that, uh, you know, what we've seen from him and what we've seen with Rondon's own uh, deficiencies with getting on base it does seem like going outside the organization is the best route.
0: Yeah. Cause I asked the listeners, which infield position needs to be addressed the most this off season. And overwhelmingly it was third base. 84% of the listeners said third base, 9.6% said catcher, which is interesting is to see what the catching options are. Uh, free agency, uh, so I think we both agree third base should be looked at the most this upcoming offseason. But the final question we had as far as the infield review is, again, on a scale of 1-5 with 1, not confident, and 5, very confident. When looking at the entire White Sox organization, Jim, from the majors all the way down to Great Falls, and looking at the White Sox infield depth. Where are you on that confidence scale? Are you closer to one, not confident, or closer to five, very confident? I would say two. 44% of our listeners are at a three. 34% are at a two. And 10.6% are at one. So listeners are right in between as far as the majority, I should say or the highest percentage, but leaning towards one than five. uh, And I, I can't argue really against that. I mean, what else can the White Sox do to bring your confidence level up in the infield depth other than just focus on that in the draft? Is there any other way that you could possibly see your confidence level rise with
2: the White Sox infield depth? Well, I think you know up the middle, it's more or less fine um, with Anderson and Rondone and uh, Yolmer. Oh, uh, well, I should say Yuan, It's second, backed by you know Yolmer, and then you know hopefully Nick Madrigal. You know, um, you know has a better start to his uh, uh, 2019. You know, after a long season, the wrist injury. I'm kind of writing off the underwhelming power that he showed at Winston Salem and thinking that he can come, you know, come out with more pop along with his hit tool next year. But you know, up the middle, I think they're more or less fine. Just the corners are really lacking. Um, you know, behind Abreu, there isn't much there. Gavin Sheets is really disappointing in terms of his power. Um, at first and third base, as we you know, we just talked about, you really need something, you know. At the high minors, at the top, um, even though I would say, you know, going to shortstop. Danny Mendick at, at Birmingham is an interesting prospect. Uh, not, uh, I, I don't think he's that interesting, but he's somebody who, you know, when you have guys like Mendick and Laz Rivera who aren't necessarily your, even your third or fourth options at shortstop, but are still there in, in the system, it's pretty deep. But yeah, in the corners, it's pretty much barren, and you know, maybe. Uh, I, I think Zach Collins might have a lot to say about the depth of this infield in with his 2019 season, whether it's, you know, making strides at catcher and, 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 you know, maybe presenting himself as a playable option, whether as a bat first catcher or somebody who can uh, provide some offense and enough defense to be playable there, or, you know, whether he moves to first base and, you know, whether he becomes more of a, first base who can occasionally catch and, you know, try to unlock his bat that way. But, you know, he's somebody who has the power, has the eye. Hit tool isn't quite there yet, but if that comes along, uh, he could be somebody who changes the perception of the depth at one of those two positions and then maybe uh, that changes. But right now it looks like the corners are pretty, uh, you know, pretty thin and catcher, you know, is riding a lot on what Sebi Zavala can do. Well, we'll see what this infield does in 2019. I
0: think for a lot of our listeners, they're expecting to see at least one new face (laughs) to be part of the Chicago White Sox infield in 2019. But that wraps up our 2018 review for the infielders. Jim, thank you so much for doing that. You and I will reconvene later in the show to answer fans' questions in P.O. Sox. But coming up next On the Sox Machine Podcast, it's time to take a look at the outfielders with Greg Nix. At Acuity Insurance, we believe the things you do for your business are heroic, and you deserve someone equally heroic to
2: protect them. We put our all into covering your business so you can focus on the things you love most. That's the power of heart. Acuity Insurance, wholeheartedly for you.
0: Our next position group to review is the outfielders, and man... Was this unit not good in 2018? Lots of playing time given to those who are quadruple A type players because of injuries to players like Lurie Garcia and Avisil Garcia. Plus, we didn't get a chance to see Eloy Jimenez in Chicago, so we don't 100% know for sure if his minor league successes will carry over to the majors. But there is hope for this group Jimenez will hopefully be the stud that everyone thinks he'll be and we'll see that soon in early 2019 Luis Wasabe shined at the futures game and improved upon last season Mike Rodolfo hit well in 2018 and the White Sox have spent second and third round picks in the last three drafts on outfield talent to review the White Sox outfield and look into the future for this group is our friend Greg Nix and hello Greg thanks for coming on the show Thanks for having me, Josh. To start, what is your overall feeling about the 2018 Chicago White Sox outfielders?
1: Uh, oof. well, <laughs> uh, how can I say this uh, that is family friendly? I guess uh, it, it would have hard would have been hard for them to be worse this year. I think I think that is a fair overall assessment.
0: I I agree with you. I can't imagine what would be a worse performing group uh, than this White Sox outfielders. I'm sure there has been, and I just need to remind myself or look into the baseball history books on what could possibly be worse. Uh, But that does lead us to the next question. And I'm sure this is a very difficult one to answer. Uh, Who was the White Sox best outfielder in 2018? And the choices that we gave our fans, listeners that participated in the review survey was obviously Garcia, Lurie Garcia, Daniel Polka, Adam Engel, or Nikki Delmonico?
1: Well, I I kind of think it's Daniel Polka by default, just because, you know, I can't. I, Garcia, Aviciel Garcia had, you know, the power spike, but missed so much time. Uh, Leury Garcia is the most versatile, but missed a bunch of time. Engel and Delmonico both didn't hit. Um, so I think it, yeah. Polka is the one you can say did one thing well for the entire season, uh, which is faint praise, but the only praise you can really give.
0: Yes, and we'll talk more about Daniel Polka later in this segment as we give our grades and answer what I think is the key question about Polka moving forward. But starting off with our grades, we're going to start with somebody that Rick Hahn has a decision to make after the World Series, and that's Abisil Garcia. And Avi is in his final year of arbitration, and the White Sox need to decide whether or not they're going to tender or not tender. Avi, if you remember last year, Avi's representatives submitted one arbitration number. The White Sox were much lower. They could not compromise, and Avi beat the White Sox in arbitration court. Uh, So we'll see if that plays a factor in the White Sox front office decision-making after his injury plagued 2018 season, and he is going into his final year of his contract. But what grade would you give Avi for the little time we did see him in 2018, Greg?
1: I think I would give him like a D-, minus, just on the plus side of failing, just because we did see that power spike, uh, which gives you a little bit of hope that maybe he can consolidate that with the uh, you know the the great contact skills that he showed in 2017 as well as the improved defense that he showed in 2017 uh, it gives you a glimmer of hope that there's actually like a well-rounded player there um, but otherwise he was basically a complete failure he missed a ton of time his defense took a big step backwards uh, his average took obviously a huge step backwards uh, so yeah, I don't—I I think probably out of all of the outfielders, his season was the most disappointing.
0: Hmm, that's, that's interesting as far as being the most disappointing. So that leads to the next question then, and that big decision that Rick Hahn has. Should the White Sox tender a contract to Avi?
1: I would not, I don't think— uh, I could definitely see the argument for it, and I kind of expect that they will. But if it was my decision to make, I would say that maybe there's a way to find somebody who is more certain to be, say, a two or win, th- two or three win player, even if he has slightly less upside than Avi does. Um, I think with how unwatchable the team was for stretches this year, I think that having a little bit more certainty in that corner outfield spot would uh, would just be good for the team and the fans overall and also uh, presumably at least take a little bit of pressure off of uh, Jimenez when, whenever he comes up. Now, moving from one
0: Garcia to the next Garcia, and that's Lurie Garcia. Uh, Lurie played a lot of time in the outfield, but he also... Spend some time in the infield, of course. That's part of the attractiveness of Lurie Garcia as a player. He does have that flexibility going from infield to outfield. But moving forward, he's also in a particular situation as far as a possible roster crunch, depending on how active the White Sox are this offseason, of where does Lurie fit on a 2019 and beyond 25-man roster for the White Sox. But before we get to that point, let's grade Lurie as far as on how well his 2018 season won. So what grade would you give Lurie Garcia, Greg, for 2018?
1: I think I'd give him a D, uh, mostly because of health. He just couldn't stay on the field and uh, perform with any kind of consistency. He also did lose some of the power and some of the plate discipline gains that he made last year. Um, hard, kind of hard to say how much of that is due to, I guess, rust from just, you know, missing three or four weeks multiple times. uh, That's kind of a hard thing. I also think part of that maybe for me is that we didn't really see him in the outfield as much as I would have liked to. Um, I would have liked to see him, especially when he was healthy, get more of the playing time in center field than angle, but that wasn't the way that things shook out, I guess. So I I was pretty disappointed in his season as well. Do you think...
0: Lurie Garcia has a role on the 2019 opening day 25-man roster for the White Sox? Uh,
1: Well, I guess I would say that he has a role on any team because of how flexible he is as a player and the skills that he brings to the table. Um, And I I guess I think that he'll probably be on the team next year, but I would think about shopping him to see if uh, there was a team that was closer to contention that wanted – a more flexible player on their bench uh, because I think that his utility is to a team that is winning, winning more consistently than the White Sox. I think there is some like opportunity costs, I guess, lost by, if that's the right way to say, say that phrase, just by him being on a bad team.
0: He's obviously playing all over the place for the White Sox, but the White Sox do have a need for these young players to soak up as much playing time as possible, right? So I, I agree with you on the fact that if there is a contending team that sees Lurie Garcia as that 25th guy that can come off the bench, that can pinch run almost every night, but also could fill in the gaps and give guys off uh, days off during the course of the season... I could see that move. I don't think he's going to become the next Marwin Gonzalez in which he's became pretty valuable for the Houston Astros, right? During their playoff run, especially when Jose Otuve has been hurt. You can put Gonzalez now at second base or left field or third base or shorts up wherever. Uh, I don't know if Lurie Garcia is ever going to be that talented, but I, I agree with you on that direction. As far as with Lurie that if there's like a contending team that wants a true super utility guy not someone that can stay in the infield but also could play in the outfield that Lurie may be attracted to to another team so that's a good point Greg going to someone who may not have any position flexibility because he probably should not be in the field at all is Daniel Polka now you said that Daniel Polka was the White Sox best outfielder in 2018 what grade would you give Polka for the season
1: I think I'd give him a B, uh, relative to the expectations, which were zero. Uh, unfortunately, he was—he—he's terrible in the outfield, and even beyond the numbers, the eye test just backs that up. Of like, he's not a guy who has any sort of natural motion out there. So, I don't think that you can pencil him in as an outfielder going forward. But I think his sixth season for what we knew of Daniel Polka going into the season was was definitely a success. Uh, he's made himself look like a major leaguer. And, you know, for a guy that they got for free um, off of, it was either a waiver claim or a, a minor league free agent signing. But, yeah, for a guy that they got for free who started the year in AAA, uh, you know, he could have done certainly played better defense and made more consistent contact. But I think if you zoom out, it's hard to say that he could have had a better year uh, relative to expectations. Well, the next question
0: is, should the white Sox have Daniel Polka DH full time moving forward?
1: I would say that should be the plan to start uh, 2019. Um, You know, full time. I think that if Davidson's around, there's a pretty obvious platoon there. Um, or there there will probably be somebody on the bench, uh, maybe Jose Rondon or somebody who could soak up some of those at bats uh, against lefties. Although is Rondon a lefty? I I don't actually know now that I'm thinking about it, but
0: no, Jose Rondon is okay. Already.
1: Yeah, so uh, the, you know, somebody like him if he's on the team to take or Yolmer if he doesn't have an everyday role, but somebody to take up some of those at-bats against lefties. um, Just because he did demonstrate a pretty large platoon split. um, And you want to, with a guy like him, you know, I think you want to put him in a position to succeed and then make him earn any more playing time that he gets beyond the position that you're putting him in.
0: So the complete opposite of Daniel Polka is Adam Engel, someone who's not very good offensively, uh, but is terrific defensively. And it's going to be interesting to see on how the White Sox are going to address Engel moving forward. What grade would you give Adam Engel for the 2018 season?
1: I'm giving out a lot of Ds, Josh. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to give Engel a D also, I think. You know, he did improve with the bat, um, which is great. He still wasn't. Good or even below average. He was still one of the worst hitters in the majors, just not maybe uh, embarrassingly so. Um, and he did, he, you know, the metrics are a little bit mixed on him as far as defense. He obviously made some really spectacular plays that were among the highlights of the season. Uh, and that was great. That was very exciting. But I don't think. You know, I, I think that this year may be the best of Adam Angle that we saw, um, which is kind of disappointing because uh, he still wasn't particularly good. But I don't think you can you can count on somebody making spectacular plays all the time. I think that, you know, his, his range and that kind of thing is only going to decrease as he gets older. Um, so, you know, n- not... An incredible amount of production, uh, even with his improvements. So I think a a barely passing grade seems fair again. What is your
0: confidence level in Adam Engel developing into a league average hitter from a scale of one to five with one not confident at all to five being very confident?
1: Uh, I, th- I think... I'm going to cheat and say 1.5 because I am not confident at all that he can do it, but stranger things have happened. You know, he did show more power in the minors um a few times than he's shown in in the majors and if he could run into a few more balls, I don't I still don't know about league average. He's still pretty far from league average, but if he's a guy who could hit, you know, 12 homers or something in a year, that would get him uh a lot closer than he was either of the last two years. But yeah, I, I definitely don't think it's very likely.
0: And then the last outfielder we're going to review is Nikki Delmonico. And what grade would you give Delmonico for his 2018 efforts?
1: I am giving Nicky Delmonico, as much as it pains me to say it, a big fat F. Uh, there really wasn't a lot to take away from the season. You know, he had that mini hot streak that you reverse jinxed him into uh, over <laughs> the summer. But otherwise, the defense was bad. He was hurt. Uh, he was didn't make much contact. He didn't have much power. Uh, it just was... It made you question whether he was going to be a major leaguer moving forward which you know there were those questions moving into the or coming into the season but he was coming off a really great stretch at the end of 2017 um, and just didn't show much to keep him in the White Sox plans so I don't know how you could do much worse if you're in uh, in his position well speaking of Delmonico I think he's going to be the one
0: that draws the short straw and gets demoted to Charlotte when it's time for the White Sox to promote Aloy Jimenez to the Major League roster. But which outfielder do you think will get replaced by Eloy Jimenez sometime in April, maybe May, possibly June, sometime in 2019, Greg?
1: <laughs> well, I'll uh, couch this by saying that hopefully there are – hopefully m- – most of these guys will get deep displaced uh, over the offseason. That being said, I do think if we're going into the season with Delmonico, Engel, uh, Avi, and Lauri in some combination in the outfield, I definitely think Delmonico is the one to get optioned down.
0: Now, we talked about Adam Engel. You're not very confident that he's going to be developing into a league average offensive player, which unfortunately for Engel spells out that he's not a major leaguer. Maybe he's a guy that comes off the bench and is a defensive replacement, but that's not a major leaguer despite on how well he plays defensively. So looking at 2019, Greg, how should the White Sox address center field?
1: Well, you guys have talked on the podcast a couple of times, I think, about the Adam Eaton move that uh, from prior to whatever season that was, uh, 2012, maybe, maybe, And I think that that is the type of move that uh, Han should be shooting for with center field again is somebody who is on the verge of the big leagues or maybe has been in the big leagues for a while but doesn't have an obvious role with their team um, yet still has some untapped upside. And I think there are plenty of candidates uh, who, who fit that bill, but I do think, yeah, they should be looking basically for somebody with both a higher floor and a higher ceiling than angle. And I think, uh, there, I think it's possible. I think that, you know, Eaton didn't cost a, a, terribly large amount. And I think giving up a similar return is a small price to pay, even if they don't pan out as well as Adam Eaton does for somebody to fill that role.
0: Yeah. Maybe Arizona has somebody cause you mentioned Adam Eaton, Carlos Quinton, we can't forget about that deal that greatly benefited the White Sox. Maybe there's somebody else that's blocked in the Arizona Diamondback system.
1: Yeah, AJ Pollock. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so, looking ahead from 2019 and beyond, and looking at the outfield in general for the Chicago White Sox organization, from what is in Chicago today, and all the way down in Great Falls or the Dominican Development Leagues, what is your confidence level with the White Sox outfield depth as an organization, with one being not confident in the outfield depth and five being very confident in the outfield depth?
1: I think of four, um, There's there was, like we just talked about, there was nothing at the majors this year, and that that's the one thing where – Going into next year, I would I would be much more confident um, if there was one solid contributor who had proven themselves at the major league level. Uh, just because filling three slots, even with you know Alloy seeming to be as close to a cat can't miss prospect as you can be. Um, it's still filled hard to fill three regular everyday spots, even with the depth of outfield prospects they have. So I'm going to say that I'm optimistic, but I would, I would like it a lot if they found somebody in the offseason who, even if it's just for two or three years, could be penciled in as a, a reliable contributor in the outfield.
0: So if you're at a four... And I mentioned guys like Luis Wasabe and Mike Rodolfo that these guys are on the 40 man roster. Their options are burning. Do the White Sox go heavy this off season in trying to make trades and sign free agents to address the outfield? Or could it be the smarter play, even though it would have a lot of the same faces playing the outfield in 2019 would be to wait and see if this outfield depth that they have in the minor leagues takes a step forward as a group in the development, and you may have some low cost starters for 2020 and beyond.
1: Well, I I don't see a reason why you can't add this off season and, um, you know, still develop those guys for the long term in the minors. There is, there is a glut of them, but there's not, I don't think that any of them are particularly close to being major league regulars besides, Jimenez you know like Basabe is probably the most advanced and he should start the year in Birmingham I think whether or not he does but it I think it'd be beneficial to his development to have at least another half season in Birmingham and then kind of see how he does um so you know if 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 that's where he's starting I don't think you can even say like by the beginning of of 2020 that he's definitely a guy that you want starting in the outfield. So I think there's at least, you know, if you say Aloy is a full-time player for most of next year and beyond, that's two more slots for that are going to be open for at least, I think another half season, probably full season for at least one of those slots. So I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, I think there's plenty of space to add a contributor and I think they should, because I don't think, if they want the team to be competing in 2020 even, which I think we all do, but even if they want a surprise in 2019, I I I think I don't think you want to be counting on any of the guys uh, at AA and below to definitely be major league contributors because they could get hurt or some of them will flame out. Um, and most of them don't have a lot of experience in the high minors. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would like to see them add at least one Eaton type guy, uh, and potentially a veteran on a one or two year deal to uh so they don't so there's less pressure on the minor league depth.
0: Well hopefully whoever is out there roaming the outfield for the White Sox is better in two thousand nineteen than they were in two thousand eighteen. So we can see still see this rebuild marching forward to hopefully their final destination and being a contending team. But he's Greg Nix. You could follow him on Twitter. He's at Greg Nix human. He also hosts a terrific baseball podcast that talks about league wide issues on the duck snort podcast, which you can subscribe to that show wherever you listen to podcasts. And Greg, thank you for taking the time and discussing this dreadful units, but also providing some optimism for this group.
1: Absolutely, Josh. Hopefully next year uh, will not be so bleak in the outfield. <laughs> I, I hope not.
0: Thank you, Greg. And coming up next, it's your questions in P.O. Sox.
1: You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob.
0: And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Socks, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter, tweeting them to at Socks Machine, posting your questions on our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Socks Machine, and also posting your questions on our Patreon page by helping support the show and the website by becoming a friend of the podcast at Patreon.com. Slash Sox machine and rejoining me on the podcast is Jim Margulis to answer your questions and Jim the first question we have comes from Robbie White Sox and Robbie's asking what package can be offered to the Arizona Diamondbacks that will include third baseman Jake Lamb and Archer Bradley and should the White Sox explore that option.
2: Well, I guess I'll answer the second question first, and say not really. And and you know, to go back to our third baseman conversation, I think that um, you know a situation like the Diamondbacks are in, where they're kind of looking maybe not to rebuild, but um, maybe seeing a wall with the way their team is currently constructed, and might take a step back and try to trade some guys who uh, you know aren't there for long haul. And Lamb does fit that that need. I mean, he has thirty home run, he has thirty homers in his past. Uh, you know, average around 250. the power is there. Um, defense really isn't, he's about like a two win player, you know, when he's, uh, I guess fully healthy, wasn't fully healthy last year, had a shoulder issue and, you know, was limited to, uh, you know, less than half a season in terms of playing time, Eduardo Escobar, you know, the, the diamondbacks trade for him and played him at third base. And, uh, it just seems like, you know, he's going to make something like 5 million, you know, four to 5 million in arbitration, I don't really see a fit here. I could see him being an interesting, you know, buy low candidate for a team, but it seems like with the White Sox, best case scenario is that he would be a difficult um, player to retain, you know, in a couple of years if things go well. It doesn't really fit the timeline. And I think same thing with Archie Bradley, you know, not a bad reliever, but um, not somebody you go out of your way to trade for. And with the White Sox having, you know, a lot of guys to go through, a lot of promising big arms, um, it doesn't seem like quite the fits, you know, for a guy who has, you know, Three years of team control yet left, I think, in Bradley's case. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, that idea of acquiring uh, a guy like Lamb, you know, who's maybe going to be cast off from another team, it's, it's good to have those guys in mind. But I think Lamb, I think just the best case scenario doesn't quite work out in the White Sox favor to go out of their way to acquire him. But, you know, to, to go back to third baseman conversation, Eduardo Escobar. Is another guy who could be—he's uh, a free agent, and you know might be somebody who upgrades that position for the White Sox, along with, you know, Donaldson, Mustakis, and and, uh, and Machado. Well, he would be an upgrade. I don't
0: think there's that there's that much argument that Escobar would be an upgrade over Yomer Sanchez at third base. But sticking with the Arizona Diamondbacks, you know, the rumor, Jim, is that the Diamondbacks may have a rummage sale of sorts. Uh, they, yeah. they may rebuild and start trading away their best players. Uh, should the White Sox? I know you say no on Jake Lamb and Archie Bradley, but what about other players from Arizona? Should the White Sox look at that situation and see if there's anybody else that could help them?
2: I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of the roster and who's left. I know Goldschmidt comes to mind.
0: <laughs> yeah, you got uh,
2: David Peralta. Yeah. Um, Zach Granke. It seems like they're, yeah. It seems like you know when you look at the shape of the roster and they're contending, it seems like you know they're they're uh, you know kind of tearing it apart for good reason, and just the time frames don't quite match up. Okay. Granky wouldn't be, you know, granky is a guy who is under contract long enough to where he could be, um, yeah, and I think he's uh, somebody who understands pitching well enough to where I think he could age okay if he finds a second act. Uh, but just it's, it seems like it would be too. Uh, you know, the game would be too limited for the White Sox to, you know, help them contend in 2020 and 2021, which I think is uh, kind of what they have to go for when trading. All right. Well, Robbie, thank you so
0: much for your question. Our next question comes from Keith Johnson and Keith is asking, it seemed like Kevin Smith had a good year, but he seems to be written off due to his age, defense and lack of power. Narvaez and Wellington didn't exactly sparkle defensively either. Why not get something for Wellington Castillo and keep the other two for 2019?
2: Well, you know, Keith has a point uh, when looking at uh, baseball prospectus, and they're usually who I go to when looking at catcher uh, wins because they incorporate framing into their metric, whereas the others don't. And of the three catchers, baseball prospectus likes Smith the most. And, you know, they're all under one win above replacement player one warp you know to use their measurements smith's at 0.8 narvaez is at 0.4 and castillo is at negative 0.2 so it's kind of like the same player basically and you know, i understand smith's uh you know when with narvaez gaining power i think smith made his own uh positive development offensively by cutting his strikeout rate which i think is no small feat in this environment where strikeouts are through the roof he uh was up there among the leaderboard and, and guys who were the hardest to strike out and, you know, he proved himself adept at getting those uh you know, punching those singles to center and right field. And uh, you know, for a catcher, that's not a bad skill set. But I think with uh Smith, you know, being uh in his thirties and and being somebody who can't throw, and I, I think it's hard to overstate his problems throwing, uh looking at uh uh you know, his success rate he stole he threw out only three base runners all season. They stole forty-one bases on him. Uh it says I think seven on his credit, but those are pickoffs. You know, three he only recorded three outs with his own arm. Uh whereas Castillo threw out eight while along just twenty-three stolen bases. Uh it seems like, you know, that's just it seems like you know, especially with guys like Lucas Giolito, big right handers, uh it seems like just something that could really complicate uh you know pitchers thinking um, you have them go to the first base more often than they want to, and really disrupt timing. And that's why I'm just really slow to buy into Smith, as like even with his framing being a lot better than Narváez's and Castillo's took a big step backwards as well. It, it seems like the package overall, being a below-average blocker, not being able to throw, being an okay framer, it just seems like they all end up at the same place. And I think if you're trying to bank on guys who might have the most to offer going forward. I still think you want to go with Castillo's combination of power, hit tool, and you know throwing arm with uh, good framing performances in his past. Even though he's been a blowout fr- framer more often than not, and Narvaez you know being on the younger side, being the youngest of all of them, and having that power show up, uh, you know holding out hope that he can shore up his defense just a little bit more. I think those hopes are more realistic than Smith carrying this uh, you know low power average thing and uh, you know being an okay framer and, and hoping that the defense doesn't blow up on him but you know i could see it being either either way you know or if, whether you go with you know smith nervias and, and, and try to dump castillo somehow uh i wouldn't be that strenuous of an objector and i think ultimately after 2019 i think the catcher thing kind of opens up again and when the white Sox are looking to contend it's not going to be with any of those guys maybe one of them as a backup but um i think ultimately the catcher hopes lie elsewhere Keith, great question. Thank you so much
0: for submitting it. Our next question comes from Gukus Liogito. And Gukus is asking, suppose you're writing next season's day after the regular season ends post. It begins with, the 2019 White Sox season was an unqualified success. Actually, you'd write it better, but whatever. What might you be
2: writing about? Well, I think winning record. If They somehow gained that many wins, you know, and, and snapping this losing season streak, that would be pretty good. <laughs> and I think, you know, in, in order for them to win that many games, it would require, you know, positive progress and a number of very important players. Um, if you're looking to itemize that, I think it would be Moncada, Jimenez, Anderson, all looking like fixtures and not having these, uh, fatal flaws hovering over them as something that could derail their major league careers, or at least careers as starters. Um, then you look at, uh, the pitching staff, you have Lopez uh, sticking. You have Carlos herdon figuring out, you know, the, the having a full healthy season, getting past this, uh, you know, wall where he was, um, you know, way more hittable over the last couple months of the season. And being, you know, if not an ace or even like a number two, just being a very reliable major league starter. And then somebody else joining Lopez with the young starters, whether it's Giolito figuring out whether it's Dylan Cease making the jump uh, Dane Dunning getting past his elbow issues, Alec Hansen getting past his, you know, just one of those guys making the jump in the rotation and looking promising. And if you have three of the five being homegrown pitchers, that's pretty good. And then, you know, from there, you maybe acquire a choir pitcher and then have an open audition for the fifth spot. You know, there are ways to go, but I think, you know, if you can get three solid pitchers, uh, in the rotation, that would be great. And then, you know, when you look at depth, having the next wave of talent lined up to where Kopech is going to be coming back. And then you have uh, you know the healthier top 10 because this year, I think seven of 10 uh, of the top 10 prospects, uh, preseason prospects, all had kind of health issues interrupting their season, ending the season, hovering over next season. And I think uh, you know that just kind of clouds the picture and and really makes uh, our, I guess, dampened enthusiasm over the state of the rebuild. And I think if you can get a healthier top 10 Going in next season, really understanding where the next wave of talent is coming from, what shape it'll take, uh, that'll make 2020 a whole lot better. So I think that's what it would take to be an unqualified success. Uh, still a lot of work to do after that, but given uh, what the White Sox have in mind, and unless they make a you know kind of a, a sweeping offseason change that changes what the on-hand talent is, I think based on what we have uh, and what we're looking at, I, I think that's what would register as an unqualified success going into 2020. Gukas, thank you so much
0: for your question. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week for the Sox Machine podcast. If you have a question or topic you would like us to tackle in a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter at sox machine like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sox machine and help support the show and the website by becoming a friend of the podcast at patreon.com slash socks machine where by signing up and helping support us financially you get additional content every single week from the podcast opportunities to ask additional questions to our guests and also additional PO socks questions as well. Next week on the podcast, the topic is the off-season plan. So if you have questions about what direction the White Sox could go this offseason, or if you have ideas on the types of players or trades that the White Sox should make offers for, send them our way at Sox Machine or post them on soxmachine.com. And that will do it for this edition of the Sox Machine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you to Greg Nix for helping review the outfielders and, of course, Jim reviewing the infielders. And thanks to everyone that participated in the review surveys. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe in a variety of ways. One is through iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.
2: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history.